Hey everyone, this is Brandon Robinson, your co-host of Doable Discipleship. I just wanted to let you know, uh, because we are recording socially distanced through Zoom, this episode, we may have some uh, audio issues. So if you hear that, if that is the case, uh, know that we are aware of that and we are always um, continuing to improve our audio quality, even as we are podcasting through Zoom. Hey, it's great to be back with you guys. Um, This is another special episode of Doable Discipleship. My name is Jason Wheeland, and I'm joined, as always, by... Brandon Robinson. Brandon, you have been the steady rock in this time. (laughs) Uh, Thank you for... (laughs) For being here and for manning the ship, um, I was out for a few a few weeks. Uh, we had our our baby girl, uh, Amy, joined us, so we are um, awesome. happy to have her. Had some time at home with with them, and I'm I'm, I'm thrilled to be back with you all. Um, Brandon has been introducing the special series that we've been in, um, and I, I think we're just going to call the series "It's Time." How about that? It's time. That works. It's time because the first one we called, it's time to speak up. And then we had, it's time to listen. And then now we have, uh, it's time to learn. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's been, I think, I think the conversations that we've been having are incredibly uh, important, incredibly powerful. And we're excited to add to that um, today with a conversation with uh, Pastor AC, Aaron Crumby, uh, who is the pastor of Saddleback, Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And um, so we just finished our conversation with him, and it was um, it was just some really great insight, some really great thoughts and nuggets um, uh, centered a bit around what it's like to pastor um, at um, in a metropolitan area at a multi-ethnic right. church uh, right. in times such as we are in. So um, I thought that was a really cool conversation. Brandon, did you want to tell us uh, what this podcast is called? Because <laughs> Doable Discipleship, the show that helps you grow. A show designed to deepen your faith in God. A Saddleback Church podcast, yes. For some Saddleback reason, Church, I, yeah. I, I tend to forget. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that we... <laughs> I, we got it in there. Um, anyway, well, is there anything else that you want to share, Brandon, before we kick it off to our conversation no. with AC? Let's get into the conversation. Cool. So, so also, I I do want to mention in the conversation, we talk about um, some things that are going to be in the show notes. So make sure to check out the show notes. Uh, I I want to say that up front because the resources that we put in there um, from AC are great. So make sure to check that out. Um, On that note, let's kick off a conversation with AC. Pastor AC, Aaron, Aaron Crumby. So help us understand a little bit of your background, where you come from, uh, your church background, because there's a there's a story there, and then kind of your journey from uh, there to Saddleback Church and what that's been like. Wow. Well, good morning, guys. Good to see you, AC. Hey, AC. Uh, Thanks for being here, man. No, thank you for having me, man. This is uh, this is awesome. I get to be on the doable discipleship. You know, <laughs> we'll have you on more it. too. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, that's a loaded question. 
but I'll give you kind of the, the, the short version. Um, I come from a large family. My grandparents had 15 kids and they had 10 boys and five girls. Uh, my mom is the youngest of 15. Uh, so she's a baby girl. Uh, and my grandfather was a pastor. Uh, all of his sons are pastors except one, but he was still, he was a deacon, uh, a very trusted deacon in the family, uh, in the church. All of my aunts, I had five aunts, uh, well, four aunts, um, but they're, they were all in the church uh, doing ministry and even in leadership uh, in the church. Um, and so I kind of, I would say I grew up in it, but you know, that's kind of the, 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 the normal upbringing um, of a kid that's, I would say, from Detroit. If you're Black and from Detroit, you, you had a part in some way, shape, or form uh, right. in the church. Um, <clears throat> uh, only been to two churches, and both were family uh, back in Michigan. Um, started ministry when I was 15. Uh, and then decided to give my life to Christ, felt like uh, what I was, how I was living and what I was doing just wasn't cutting it. Saw people who I was hanging with begin to change their life and saw uh, the things that I wanted in my life being shown in theirs. And I'm like, okay, this one foot in, one foot out dance that I've been doing is not cutting it. And I need to just go all in. So I uh, decided to give my life to Christ. and. Uh, the rest is history, man. He began to just do things in my life and, and everything. Um, ended up getting married. I was ordained a deacon. Um, and then fast forward to 2006, um, my wife and I had been praying previously about, you know, making a move. Didn't know how it was going to work or what it was going to look like. And we ended up getting an opportunity to move out here to, to, uh, to uh, California. Uh, was introduced to Saddleback to my sister-in-law who gave her life to Christ during 40 days of purpose, the campaign. Wow. She was in an OG small group, gave her yeah. life to Christ, man. And we've been praying for it and, and having conversations and God just, man, did a work in, in her. Like, uh, it was unbelievable. Hmm. It was one of those call you. I want to say it was like maybe five four or 5 a.m. Like I can feel God's love and, you know, never understood it before. And now I do. And it was a very exciting and just life-changing, even for us, her transformation was life-changing for us. Oh, wow. um, so that's how I kind of found out about Saddleback. Uh, and, and uh, once we moved out here, we started attending and the rest is history, man. It, it, it kind of snowballed from there where we got into a small group and started to meet people and then was asked to come on staff and boom, 10 years later on the 21st, I think, I've been on staff. Wow, happy <laughs> anniversary. Okay, wow. There you yeah, go. Years, anniversary 10 years in. Month. Yeah, That's cool. Nice. Yeah. And nice. you started at Saddleback in college ministry, or did you start elsewhere? I started in high school ministry. High school ministry. Yeah. Okay. High school ministry did that for six and a half years mm -hmm. or so. And then uh, Pastor Rick asked me to come and uh, lead the LA campus, and right. it's been awesome. That's so cool. Uh, let me That's rephrase great. it. It's been 
it's been tough <laughs> because <laughs> there's a lot of growth that comes with, you know, when you're, when you're, you know, I, I would say, I'm not going to speak for everybody, but for me, when God has asked me to do something and I know, you know, Pastor Rick just confirmed what God had kind of told me in our meeting, like, Hey, this is, this is what you're supposed to do. And, uh, and I'm going, Oh, but I'm, I love it where I am. And he's mm-hmm. going, no, this is, and it's gross. It's gross. And gross is never easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's never easy, but it's always worth it. And so, um, yeah, so it's, it's been tough, great growth and just an awesome time with awesome people. Love the the family that we've kind of, uh, created, um, out here and, and just, so having a good time, having a good time, loving it. That's awesome. Um, so for, for you guys listening, uh, Pastor AC, Aaron's family is, in your own words, and I think it's just true, like royalty in the Kojic denomination. <laughs> the Kojic denomination is Church of God in Christ, and it condenses down to Kojic. Um, it's one of the largest black denominations in the U.S., huge, huge deal. And your family is a huge part of that. Um, yeah. And now you're at Saddleback, which is one of the biggest churches in the world. Um, and you find yourself in LA, which is again, one of the biggest cities in the world, an international city, an extremely, (laughs) extremely multi-ethnic city. Um, And you're kind of plopped right down there in the middle with, I think, a really unique blend of experiences and background in an L.A. setting. What's that been like for you as we're kind of in this special series? We're talking about race and ethnicity and the gospel and church and how this all comes together. What's that been like for you pastoring in L.A. with your background? Well, first of all, I am I'm like. I'm so grateful for my upbringing. Um, you know, I say our church, our family is like royalty. And I say that from my perspective, because uh, I've always just, we're so big. My family is so big. So everybody just knows us. We're just known mm-hmm. because we're so big. My grandfather had such a, so many sons <laughs> that are all preachers and all have churches. So we're just, I say that in the sense that we're just so known by uh, so many people and loved and loved by so many people. I'm so grateful for my upbringing and uh, in the church and, you know, holiness is the big, uh, a big thing. And um, it's kind of living right, understanding what, how God wants us to live and, and, and the benefits of that. And so I'm so thankful for uh, my upbringing. I don't think, I'd be where I am today without um, just the pouring in of so many um, um, just mentors and, and just the, the being in the church, um, you know, it's a benefit that, you know, has, I think, afforded me what I do today. And so, um, yeah, I think being in LA, first of all, um, is an interesting thing because People come to LA. Uh, a lot of people come to LA, obviously, for the dream to live the Hollywood dream and make it big sure. and everything. So it's very transient. Uh, you have a lot of people from a lot of different 
spaces. So when you come to LA, it's not like you're going to go, oh, you're going to build this, you know, if you're, unless you're like, uh, you know, you, you are, you've been here from the beginning and like your, you know, your, your roots are grounded in maybe, uh, uh, maybe in the Kojic or, or Baptist. Uh, and you have people who obviously been here a long time, but, uh, it's very transient. So, uh, people, people come from all over the world to be in LA. Uh, and so one of the things, I hope I'm hitting your target, <laughs> your, your question, yeah. but one of yeah, the yeah. things that I've learned, um, pastoring in LA is that, um, people are looking for family. Um, and I say family to, to say people are looking for a safe place and you find a safe place when you find family. Uh, and so, um, obviously the connotation with the church is, you know, they're safe people, they believe in God and, you know, they hold these rules and everything. Uh, but it's more than that. People are looking for a, a family. I would say Sandra and I, my wife, when we moved from Detroit to, you know, California, we were looking for uh, family. Um, we needed it. We had kids. And so we needed people that we could trust and, and people that we could uh, do life with and could, you know, be uncle and aunts to our kids because all of our family, because uh, I have a sister here now and she has a sister out here now, but all of our family back in Michigan. So and their aunts and uncles are back in, you know, Michigan. So um, we needed friends like family. And, and so when we moved out here, we experienced that here at Saddleback where we got connected with people, um, and, and immediately began to grow a friendship where we became like family. And so I knew one of the things that I wanted to do, um, when we did move to LA and begin the church was create a safe place where people can find family, uh, not just friends, not just associates. Uh, but, but, but family. And so uh, that's been a huge part of, of the makeup of, you know, our church and even our strategy. When we talk about us being so transient, um, I can't tell you how many Sundays I'll get someone on the patio after I'm greeting everybody and they come up and they say, Hey, just moved here three weeks ago, man, love the service. Want to see how I can get connected into a small group. Um, Cause they're looking for a, friends like family. I've had people who say I've been in LA for three years and, uh, and, and just haven't found a place where, I, where we connect, but we came here and, you know, we feel like this is the place, you know, God is called, calling us to, and we want to get connected. And I think the element is, is a family-like atmosphere. It's in the DNA of our church uh, with small groups and doing life together. Uh, and, and going deeper in relationships than just the acquaintance surfacey stuff, but experiencing each other's pain, walking with each other through, through pain, um, uh, that creates just an atmosphere of, of, uh, of family that you can't get anywhere else. And so uh, uh, that's one of the greatest things that I love about our church is that we are a family. and. And as, you know, it's being modeled, uh, you know, my wife and I, we try and model it and open our home to people and, and, and create 
safe place for people and 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 we encourage people to do the same we can't be the only ones but we encourage other people to do the same and so i think that's been one of the greatest um um points of of pastoring in la is that you 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 your family your family grows exponentially that's awesome that's so cool and i just wanted to follow up on that quickly before we get into kind of the deeper topic of what we wanted to talk with you uh, more about today i wanted to follow up on that because a lot of you know this podcast is a doable discipleship and so we generally are talking about what it means to be a disciple and we don't often talk about what it means to pastor and what it means to um, enter into pastoring but first and foremost like a pastor needs to be a disciple like um and and so so i'm just curious um in your experience now in pastoring at the la campus what has been one of probably the most impactful ways that you have grown as a disciple while pastoring? Wow. Um, well, I think, uh, I think that the difference and maybe, maybe it's not the difference because I've always, I mean, even when I was in Lake Forest, you know, as a youth pastor, um, um, I kind of brought the same the same way that I felt the strongest or I felt discipled. Um, it, it just continued to probably intensify because before I'm just working with kind of, I'm working with families from a student's perspective. And now I'm working with families from, you know, an adult perspective. Um, but really, um, I never want to take people through something I haven't kind of been through in terms of of um, in terms of how they experience God mm. so uh, you know I'll have I'll have families come and you know obviously have all type of things that have happened in their life and um, if if I if I'm not connected if I'm not you know being vulnerable with God, if I'm not let, allowing him in spaces in my life that needs to be changed, that maybe I have kind of help for myself because of, for whatever reasons, control, selfish reasons, whatever, uh, and really wrestled with allowing him to change those, to grow me in those areas. Um, then it's hard for me to talk to people about going places I'm not willing to go. Mm. And so that's been a really driving force for me when it comes to my own discipleship is, man, I can't fake this. Um, you know, I couldn't fake it with, really couldn't fake it with students because, you know, they, um, they're dealing with some really tough stuff. And a lot of times they're on the outskirts and you're trying to just get a foothold into, into their life so that you can influence them. And you can't do that when you're faking your own relationship with God. Um, and it's the same with adults. Um, you know, you may be able to fool, fool them from afar, but when you're doing the life for life and you they, they're having hurts and they're having pains there, you can't really fool them with just, hey, you know, put this and it sounds all good and it sounds tingling to the ear. Um, but you really can't fool them if you're not doing the real life work yourself. If you're not 
if you're not allowing God to do those things in your life uh, for you, um, they, they see right through it. And I think, uh, especially when you're a pastor and they're with you all the time, like, you know, you can, you can probably fake them for a little while from afar that you love them, that you care, and that you, you know, you, you, you understand what they go through and you understand God's process of, of um, changing their life and, and, and discipleship and transformation of the mind. Like you can, you can fake it for a while, but they'll see through it. And so it's really when you get into the, to yourself, making sure you're going through the process of allowing God to change your heart, to change your, not just your, not just what you do, but your want to's. Um, I believe when real discipleship takes place, the want to's begin to change. And, and only, and so that, that, that's my motivation in terms of, Hey, I need to make sure that, you know, I'm not skating by and allowing I'm I'm skating by, but I'm asking people, you know, to go deeper. I'm asking people to allow God to search their heart and I'm not allowing him to do uh, uh the same uh same to me. Hmm. Um or spending time in the word and, and not just not just reading the Bible, but memorizing scripture and allowing mm-hmm. it to, you know, again affect the way you you not only do things but affect your want to what you want to do and, and so that's been a I would say that's been a driving force and then obviously all of the you know reading your Bible and studying the Bible spending time with God praying and stuff like that all comes comes as well but that's the motivation is we can't push can't take people where we we're not willing to go hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, that's 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 really good, AC. Um, with that and kind of thinking through that, pastoring a people and pastoring in LA, with everything going on in our country right now, with um, protests and marches, and it kind of feels like everything has come up off of the bottom of the pond, and it's just all swirling, swirling around. How for the black brothers and sisters in your congregation? How are you pastoring them? How are you walking? Uh, what are you saying to them as as we're grieving uh, through anger, through frustration, hurting? What what's that been like, and how are you addressing that? Yeah. Um, man, that's a really great question because I believe sometimes in this in these moments, you know, we kind of rely on them. Depending on the church, if you're if you're a white church. And you have, you know, either black congregants or black staff. You're kind of relying. You're kind of relying on them right now, um, and it's not a bad thing because we definitely need to get traction on this. We we can't continue to. Um, the church cannot allow racism to continue to 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 uh, exist. And not and not take a stand or, or or be at the forefront of this movement. Um, so it's needed. At the same time, um, you you probably have felt it too, uh, Brandon. But you're you're fighting it, but you're also in it. Yeah, yeah. You're you're fighting it, and you're also in it. So uh, and sometimes um, 
things just kind of compile on each other. I mean, we had Ahmaud Arbery, we had George Floyd, uh, we had an, an, another brother in uh, Atlanta. Um, what's his name? Um, I can't remember uh, his name. R- Rashard Brooks, I think. Yeah. Uh, we got Breonna Taylor as well. Brianna, I mean, we can go all the way yeah. to, from Mike Brown to Orlando Castile. Eric Garner. <laughs> yeah, Eric Garner. Like, yeah. we, can, we can go all the way back. It, it just compiles and compiles. And we know that this is a marathon. But uh, I would say not most whites, but there are whites, you know, white churches or, 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 or um, who are just kind of coming online to this thing. And for us, we're living through it. And so it's taken a toll, it's taken a toll on, on us. And so I know for, uh, you know, our black congregants, they, you know, they've got, they've got white friends. You know, I've got white friends, I've got white family. <laughs> and so we're, we're being, you know, hey, tell me about this. <laughs> you know, tell me about that. And I think for a moment, um, you know, I actually had one of our staff. We were in a meeting talking about. Um, we did a night of prayer and with songs of healing, and that was specifically for our congregants uh, because we know during this time, man, we need prayer. We need prayer like never before. So we need to be strategic about our prayer because we know, um, um, you know, racism is is a principality. It's it's something that controls the yeah, air that we have to attack with with lots lots of intentional prayer but we also need to last and so that's where our songs of healing came in where we would take a beat we pray and take a beat and allow a song to be sung over us uh and at that service you know i was able to actually talk to our black congregants and you know with the church and go hey we we see you we know this is tough um uh, let me say something uh no one has all the answers right now. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we're looking for someone to pop up somewhere and go and tell us exactly what to do, how to do it, <laughs> exactly what to say. And that's not going to happen. Uh, what's going to happen is we're going to keep talking about it. We're going to keep, we know which direction we need to go in. We're going to keep talking about it. We're going to have some honest conversations and we're going to continue to pray and watch God do what he does as he did before. Um, in, in the beginning of this, when we saw Martin Luther make uh, the advancements that he he made, uh, I believe God's going to do it again. But now, you know, we need to be okay with not having the answers and not knowing what to say, and 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 live in that. And so, I just took time to just you know say, hey, you know, we're, we see you. We know this is tough. We know. Um, you know, you're probably being pulled on by people because they want to know, they want to help. They have, a, you know, their hearts are opening to something that, you know, they got to really see for the very first time and they are, they're pulling on you, they're calling on you. And, um, and so we want you to know that we see you, we know that it's tough and we're here for you. I opened up, you know, my, our, my staff was on board of, Hey, we're going to be here. So you have someone to talk to. Um, and, and um, and and know that you're not alone in this. We we're not 
we're not just focusing on those who are just awakening to this situation, but we're, we also see you. And so mm-hmm. you're tired. You're, and just, just as we speak to first timers for their acknowledgement, like we want them to know that we know they're in the room. It's the same with our black congregants. I wanted to take time for them to know that we know that they're in the room. Um, and, you know, we see their pain. We, we see their pain, their hurt. And, and we're here to talk. We're here to have conversations. We're here to, to pray with you uh, and, and, and be with you. So that's, that's, yeah. that's, that's been pretty much the, the tone. Yeah, that, that's good. I, I think one of the things you said, I, there's a, as African-Americans, as black Americans, as believers in Christ, there is, a, I think, a, an, a pressure to process as fast as we can because we want to be a voice of clarity and um, a voice of reason and be available, but there's still a lot of processing. And I think for some of us listening, uh, one of the things to understand about the black experience in America is these things, right? When, when things flare up, when uh, killings happen, it's not just this one isolated event. Um, it's, it is the event, but it's also what it represents. So I've heard, um, I've heard an argument about with George Floyd about, well, um, about his past. Well, it wasn't like super squeaky clean. I don't understand why he's the one that's, and to that point, uh, it's about George Floyd and it's also not about George Floyd. It's about what it represents in the history that our families are tied to and the history that we have grown up in the stories that we've heard, it drums up all of that grief and all of that trauma at once. Um, and, and, and that's why it's painful. And I think that's why there's such a strong reaction, especially this time. Um, not that there hasn't been in the past, but I think it's almost like there's this, national awakening um even international awakening to what's going on race relationships in america and it's starting to like uh i think internationally as well to make people step back and go what's it like here or i've never noticed this or i I haven't seen this and um a point on george floyd too i want to make because i I don't want to miss this either it's not about lionizing who he is um it is about humanizing who he is, right? It's saying, regardless of the past, what is right, what is wrong, that's not even the conversation. The conversation is, this is a man made in the image of God, a human whose life was taken unfairly, whose life was taken unjustly. Um, so I just wanted to make that point because I, I think, I want to offer clarity. And I think that that can, it's often a sticking point for a lot of people. Um, and I think as my, at least my experience the past few weeks, as some of my white brothers and sisters have, have come to me and have asked me questions or really coming with a desire to know and desire, a desire to understand. Um, I'm trying to kind of unpack it's, it's the totality of it. It's the, it's what he represents. It is, it is, uh, it's not just him, but it's everyone who's come before him. The things that we've seen on the news and things that haven't been on the news, things that have happened even in our families and things that uh, 
never got to a national level. It it pulls up all of that uh, from the surface. And I think for me, there's a lot of times where I'm even thinking it's hard for me to get into it because it's traumatic. It hurts. So I, I, I put it in a box and I put it on the shelf and I'm, I'm not always, it's, it takes a lot of energy to go get that off of the shelf, open that box up and, and, and go through it and start pulling out and, you know, showing it and trying to explain and bring clarity and understanding. Um, and I can only imagine for you pastoring, uh, an ethnically diverse, um, congregation, it's not just white and black, it's Hispanic. It is Asian American. It's, it's, there's a lot of different experiences that you are having to navigate pretty choppy waters and kind of unpack and explain a history of yeah. black people in this country. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, that's a great point you bring up. I call them just, I, I think it's just distractions. Um, when people bring up side, you know, a lot of things on the side, like the, the past of a person, um, that has nothing to do with them being murdered um, mm-hmm. by, you know, by the help, by, <laughs> you know, by law enforcement. Like that has nothing to do with, you know, what's at hand. Uh, I heard a great, uh, someone talking about this, about, you know, some people saying, you know, uh, he's not a, he's not a martyr or he's not the hero. We make, you know, these bad people the hero. And, uh, and, and he used a word that I was like, oh, I can totally see that in terms of being catalyst. Um, what we've seen over and over and over again, that we felt, you know, as, as we've seen our black brothers and sisters be killed, uh, we've seen it, we felt it, but for whatever reason, I think everything kind of aligned in terms of, you know, people being home, um, you know, this being just so blatantly open and, you know, with even people on the side, you know, saying, hey, he's saying can't breathe. Like, I, I think it it was this, it became this catalyst moment for something bigger. Um, and so, again, I love the way you said, you know, humanized him because we do, we go, <clears throat> when we see something like that happen, the first thing we go is, what did he do? What did he do right. to deserve? It? We give the, you know, give law enforcement the benefit of the doubt, and we go, what did he do to deserve it? That's our, that's our natural, uh, that's where we naturally tend uh, to, to lean. Um, and so, you know, I think him being humanized, it just, him calling for his mom, like, she's passed she's passed yeah. i think the whole situation just put uh, such a human as human um which is sad to say because i mean he is the human being <laughs> we shouldn't need such a horrific situation for us to humanize uh um someone um but you know th- that's that's what happened i think what we do with that though how we proceed forward with that um, it is where we get to go, okay, this isn't wasted. This life isn't mm-hmm. wasted. And I don't think, you know, God, we, we see in scripture, God doesn't waste hurt. 
and I don't think he 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 will waste this. Um, and in terms of leading the church, you know, through this, LA is like anything that happens, we we get hit first. Like we feel it all. Um, yeah, you know, we talk about like Orange County. You know, when we moved out here, I moved to Laguna Niguel. <laughs> I would tell people, yeah, I'm in California. Where are you? Yeah, Laguna Niguel. Laguna Niguel. Wait a minute. Was there a show called Laguna Beach or something? <laughs> like, no one knows right. any other city but L.A. <laughs> and so uh, L.A. is first. It's, it's like everything touched down. When, when something happens um, socially, our congregation feels it. Uh, and so you can't ignore it. Um, you have to engage it because it's where the people are, and and most of the time, it's around centered around her, centered around, uh, and, and regardless to whether you, uh, whether how you feel about it, regardless to whether uh, I love what our pastor said, you absorb the pain, you absorb the mm-hmm. pain, you become a a specialist at absorbing the pain. And if you are a pastor in LA, man, you must become a professional at absorbing the pain uh, because you have so many, um, It's I always say it's one of my greatest joys is when I get up on stage and I get to look out at my congregation because you just go, man, this is what God wants to see in his church. Um, people from all nations, um, background, choosing to be together, choosing to worship together, uh, yeah. and, and knowing that it wasn't always like this. Um, but because of that, man, there's going to be a lot of pain. A lot of people are affected by a lot of things that happen in this, you know, in this world. So you, you, you have to be able to absorb the pain. Um, it, just because we're the church doesn't mean you, you know, and, and you know the answer uh, doesn't mean you that's what you lead with all the time. Uh, whether you agree or disagree or, or whatever, you sit and then you absorb the pain. And, and, um, and, and that's been a big part of, you know, what, what we do because, you know, they're, they're in the thick of it. Um, we've had moments where, you know, things have happened and you can just feel it in the air. Everybody is, is, is kind of feeling the, you know, what's, what's happened uh, when Charleston, when what happened in Charleston right. at, the, at the church. You could just feel it. You could just feel it in the air. Uh, but it, you could feel it in the air. Um, and, man, I, I didn't even really have words to say. I didn't really know you know, which way I needed to go. And I just began to pray, God, you know, something's not clicking. And we're all feeling it. You know, I, I, my, my prayer is all churches kind of felt that way on that Sunday morning when your brothers and sisters are gunned down in a way like that. But uh, those type of moments where we can enter into each other's pain draws the church closer. And I think if Sometimes when you when you ignore it or you escape it, um, then it's again it's 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 almost you're almost inadvertently saying you know that pain doesn't doesn't matter or it hasn't reached us. 
And man, we're the church. I think we, Jesus always entered into people's pain. That was, right. that was one of the things that I believe uh, he modeled that the church, you know, he said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. Like he, he came to enter into the pain of people. And, yeah. and you don't have to make it a campaign. You don't have to make it, but you got it. You got to absorb it. Got to enter, you know, into it. And what I've seen with my own eyes is it actually draws the church closer when you acknowledge the pain of of people in your in your congregation uh, because it challenges everybody else to acknowledge their pain. It challenges everybody else to step out of their comfort zone or out of their world uh, and see someone else's is pain. And I believe you become more of the church, which is the family. You become more family, uh, more of a family when you enter into uh, one another's pain. So it's not something we run away from. It's something that we engage. And like our, our pastor uh, says, we, ab- we absorb it as a congregation um, for one another. Yeah, I think that's that's so beautiful in Scripture when it talks about to bear one another's burdens I think the beauty of that is then you are also carrying that same burden in, as the church. And so if you are doing what we are told to do in scripture and bear one another's burdens, then that is absorbing the pain. Then you as a church then are all sharing in that burden together. Yeah. Even if it was not a, a burden that you felt originally, you take it on because of your love for your brothers and sisters. And so then it becomes the burden of the church. Yep. It's one of those things. I mean, we, we recognized uh, veterans. Day. Like we recognize those who served uh, in our country. We recognize those who have, have uh, died serving in our country uh, because we have members who are still feeling that pain. You know, you don't get over uh, death. You, you learn to live with it. And so when we take, take moments to recognize that, we enter as a church into, into their pain. And let me say this uh, as well. I think sometimes we run from things, from issues, because we listen, we allow the world to divide us um, in, in that moment because they like to politicize it uh, for political gain. Um, race. Racism has been politicized, and I think it sometimes scares church away because they don't want to, you know, divide, you know, their church because people have different, you know, sit on different sides of the aisle and, and whatnot. Um, but pain is part of is bipartisan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> pain of what you're feeling, the pain of what you're going through is bipartisan. Every, everybody goes through pain. And I think it's for the church. It's not for the people to learn. It's for us to model what it looks like to share in each other pain and not allow uh, politics to hijack the narrative mm-hmm. to keep people away from one another, to keep people uh, in their eye, in their role or in their pew. Your, your brother in, in the Lord is hurting. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever has happened is, has caused pain. Man, the most loving thing you can do is reach across there and go and see about your brother. 
not about everything else. It's about the pain that you're feeling and how uh, you can be a part of 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 uh, the healing. You can be a part of of um, of them, uh, the reconciliation or, or, or whatever it is. You can be a part of that. Um, and that's what we need to, you know, focus on. Not not allowing, not allowing what Christ modeled for us to be hijacked. He entered yeah. into people's pain, whether it was the, uh, uh, the the woman at the well, who who the the Samaritan woman at the well who had uh, five husbands, or whether it was the woman caught in adultery. Jesus stepped into people's pain like no other and stood up for them he he stood up for them he, he brought clarity to uh, um, he brought clarity to hey the, what you see what you hear um, is not always all is not always uh, the story there's something deeper here and yeah. for us as believers we need to take the time to see people where they are and, and and not just you know what's happening, um, and so let's not allow pain and and suffering be hijacked because politics is a part of it. Let's enter into people's pain. Yeah, that's that's good. I, I wanted. I have another question, but I want to before I forget. You had mentioned um, the prayer and worship night that your campus did. Um, yeah. Right. It, it, yeah. Would it be possible to get the list of the songs of healing from you guys so we could put that in the show notes? So if people, oh, yeah, yeah, I think that'd yeah. be a, a great, great idea resource Jason. for people. Sure. Um, yeah, that'd be great. Thanks. We, you, uh, we had everybody write out the prayers too. Um, Please, we would love. Because, yeah. Um, yes. We really, we really wanted it to be. You know, we have a we have a message. We have a, a LA uh, Facebook message board. Oh, cool! And so we want to continue to pray for these things. Um, and so those are just some reminders for us. But I can I can get those to you as well. That'd be great. So we'll post those in the show notes um, for you guys to check out. And then I want to ask you, see, so what do you say to people who who honestly say to you? You know, AC, I, I, I truly don't understand what's going on. Like, I don't understand what all, what's happening. Help me to learn. Help me understand. Yeah. What, what do you say to people? Because um, I'm sure there are people who are listening that have that same kind of question who, who may yeah. be kind of embarrassed or scared to ask it too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would say don't ask. I would say go do your own research. Um, go be, and, and I would say you can research two things. You can research the history of blacks in America and the history of blacks and the police in America. And, and it'll give you what you need. Um, I think, um, and I say this, in a, I don't have your your black friends or your they don't have all the answers um and they don't necessarily have like hey here's how you can learn and and grow and they don't have a plan (laughs) for you like laid out um 
we know this stuff. I was reading, um, uh, I was reading, um, uh, there's a book called White Fragility, uh, which is awesome, but I was, I was reading it and I'm going, this is all the stuff that I know because I live this. Like, this isn't like, I'm not going, oh, wow, I didn't know that. It's because it's, it's from, it's, it's written from my framework. And most, most books are. Um, and so I want to be polite with this, but <laughs> <laughs> you got to do your research. If this is something that you're, um, if this is something that you want to be a part of, if this is something you're going to be a part of, you need to do your own research. Um, and um, I'm sure uh, the ton of resources that you can, there's a lot of resources that you can uh, find and, and read, but at the heart of it, you need to get this for yourself. And yes, I love having conversations about, you know, what's happening because I want to see change. I have a 11 year old son who is quickly growing. Um, and I remember the day I grew from a cute little boy that everybody just saw to now for looking like, oh, this kid is, you know, I won't use the word threat, but it, it was a shift. It was a shift from me being a young kid that can walk up and down the street and then getting older to me being somebody that now, okay, we need to watch this kid in the store. We need to, there is a shift. I want to change that for him. I, I, I want to, um, I want to see things change. So I love having conversations, but I think if you want to really be a part, if you're committed to being a part of this, yes, have a ton of conversations, but, but come to the table with knowledge. Do your research on what, what's the history of this country concerning blacks? Um, why is it, you know, um, I was having a conversation last night and uh, we were talking about the riots and the looting. You know, a lot of people are going, well, why are they, you know, they shouldn't be rioting and looting is killing their cause. Well, of course we know that. We, of course we know rioting and looting is wrong. It, it, is not, it is not something, I would say, even any of the protesters would say they condone. But right. we ask, we want to, we want to talk on that side, but nobody's asking why, mm-hmm. why, why does, why does rioting happen? Why does it get so out of control? Um, it, it just because people, of course, there are opportunists, people who are looking for this time to, you know, get get things kind of riled up and going and benefit from it. Um, but why does it start? Why does, you know, Martin Luther said, it's the voice of the unheard. It's the voice of the unheard. But, but I think we need to be asking the questions you know, why does it get, of course it's wrong. Of course, you know, you shouldn't take things that don't belong to you in the first place. You shouldn't burn things. You shouldn't, of course it's wrong. But I think the conversation of why is it happening? Um, and, and even thinking of when does it happen? You know, uh, I can give you a few dates of when writing happened and they were all, all hinged around when blacks were killed and justice was not served. 
And so um, we need to we need to broaden that conversation. Uh, yeah, broaden that conversation for sure. I, I, I'd like to add to that. Do your own research. Um, I, I, that's good. You know, I think for if you are you find yourself in that position and you're think, thinking, man, I, I want to know, but I don't know how to get involved. I don't know where to start. And I don't know if I even understand why all this is going on. Um, pray. Seriously. I, th- I think sometimes we can look at prayer and think like that's cliche, but no, like the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. We believe that as, as believers in Jesus, as followers of Jesus, we believe that God leads us into truth yeah. and that all truth is God's truth. So um, pray and ask for wisdom, pray and ask for understanding and then read and read and read and read. And um, I'd say too, as you're reading, as you're researching, as you're un- coming into a, a different level of understanding, um, look for consensus. If there are, say we have 10 people, if there are nine uh nine black people that you are, you have read and they're all saying something along the same line, something very similar. And then there's one person, one voice that says something um, that is extremely contradictory to the rest of the experience. The consensus <laughs> would say that one person is probably wrong, right? Yeah. There, there's a, a extremely high probability that that one voice, that that's not the voice of truth, that that's not the voice of reason. Um, So look for consensus as you are reading and as you are researching and as you are listening um, and be careful and be wary of uh, the voices or the voice that is contradictory to what everyone else is saying, what everyone else is experiencing, because it's, it's almost feels like an easy out that it isn't, it's, it's a way to, okay, well, that person said this, and this affirms what I have been taught or what I've grown up in or what I believe. Um, so be careful and, and be, be wary of that um, and make sure as you're coming into understanding that there's bounce it off people, that there's consensus of uh, a clear voice. Um, yeah. So read, read, read. And as you read and as you have, if you have black friends or people that you can go to and ask questions, um, it makes the conversation that much easier and that much better because you already have something to talk about. And for, 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 for black people, it's hard, um, even in good nature when someone comes to say, okay, explain all this to me. That's a really, really tough conversation. But if you come and say, hey, I read this, I yeah. heard this. Um, can you help me understand this more? Or could you shed light on that? That's a much easier conversation. Um, and it only enhances what you're already coming into coming to understand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's good. That's good. I, I think, um, you know, we've been having conversations for a long time. And so, um, for, for me, I'm like kind of, I love having conversations at the same time. I want to go, okay, what do we do with that? Like, what do we, right. how do we pivot from conversations to taking action? Um, and because it's so embedded in our, our, you know, I always feel like we're fighting two different wars. One is, uh, you know, well, let's say three structural and s- systemic racism. And then we're fighting the personal side of it where it's, Right. Um, and so, you know, 
it's, it's only so much talking you can do before you go, okay, well, what does it look like to actually move forward and, and take action and make change? Um, I honestly, truly believe the church uh, has to be at the forefront um, mm-hmm. because as we saw in the past, um, there are all, you know, Martin Luther wasn't the only one who came with a, you know, kind of a plan to go, hey, this is, this is how we should move forward. <laughs> there are others who had plans on how this thing should work. Um, but I believe his plan was centered around love because it wasn't just about um, the oppressed and his, you know, thinking of eternal, thinking eternal. It was also about the oppressor. Uh, they were made in God's image as well. And as hard as it is for us to you know, see it that way, I believe it's why Martin Luther was kind of, he, he wasn't liked, he was hated. <laughs> we, we love him now, but he wasn't by both sides. He was he was um, he was hated. So uh, because his message of love and nonviolence, you know, his when he would, if you wanted to with him, you couldn't just get on the line and protest with him. You had to go through a process uh, where yeah. once they found out injustice had taken place, then you'd go through workshops because at the end of that, you got to sign a contract that says I will not retaliate. And so his message was uh, so geared towards, you know, love that I think um, it was able to transcend the heart of the, you know, what he called the white moderate, which I think now is just the moderate because it's all racist now. Before it was a very divided black and white, but now it's, it's all modern. And I think gospel has the ability to do, affect the heart just as it did back, you know, when Martin Luther was, uh, you know, doing his thing, has the ability to affect the hearts the same way. So the church has to get out um, in front of this, and lead, uh, lead the way, lead with love, knowing that um, this is a, Racism is an attack on our uh, our God-given value, our intrinsic value as Christ followers who are made in the image of God. Uh, and he said, hey, it is good. It is good. He, after he made man, he said it is good. And racism is a direct attack against that. So the church needs to get out, um, get out in front. On the, on the front line on this i think that's that's like a perfect way to bring this conversation to a close because we always end with doables but it seems like the doable was kind of in what you were just saying is is that the church needs to be at the forefront that the church needs to absorb pain that the church needs to take the steps and that starts <clears throat> that starts with you if you're listening right now that's you and so that's, that's the doable right there is, um, is make it a, a point to understand that this is, that it, this is an issue for the church and that this is something that, that, that you as a believer, as a Christian are called to step into. And, um, so if that's something that is new to you, um, 
then then do what AC and Brandon were talking about is do the research, start reading, start having those conversations, start, um, you know, asking God in prayer to open your eyes, open your ears and open your heart to the work that he is doing. And um, honestly, I don't think there's any better doable than that. (laughs) Right. Um, I think, yeah. One last thing. Yeah, please uh, go for it. Um, the same way I think, you know, a, a part of, you know, my part in you know, has always been in this in terms of what's my part in, you know, moving the ball forward has been about the next generation. And whether you have kids or not, you are a part of moving this forward for the next generation. Mm. Um, and so you doing the research uh, and you, you understanding your own value. You know, when I talk about kids right now, parents go, well, what should I be teaching my kids? You need to be teaching their intrinsic value and that their intrinsic value is the same as everybody else's. No one is, <laughs> everyone has the same intrinsic value that God has given us. Uh, and I think you, you, Understand that about yourself and understand that about others and and, and others. And then, hey, if my brother, if my brother is feeling, if someone is making him feel less than what he should be feeling, then I need to step in and I need to do something about it. Mm. Uh, Because I know what my true value is. I know what his true value is. And I need to be, again, uh, a, a... need to be one in terms of upholding that intrinsic value not 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 adding to the divide of those who who want to say you're lesser uh i'm greater uh and so allow that to be a motivation uh the next generation remember this isn't a gene we don't have a racist gene this is taught uh and and i would say it's taught in some it's taught uh directly and it's taught indirectly. Uh, if you don't educate, if you, if you don't educate yourself, if you don't educate your kids, you will fall prey to whatever message is out there uh, that kind of fit the scope of you know, what you believe. Uh, the same with the kids. They, uh, just as I have to give my kids to talk, if you're white, you should be giving your kids to talk uh, because they need to know. Because when we know, uh, what has has happened in the past, there's a higher probability of not repeating. Uh, and so let that be your motivation. We have a generation that's coming up uh, who who needs to live in a better life, who needs to live in a better world, who needs to, um, we have an opportunity to bring people together in unity even closer. And so you doing the research, you joining the fight, uh, and using your voice um, is, is super pivotal, especially followers of Jesus. It's important. That's awesome. Um, that's great. Aaron, Pastor AC, thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you for hopping on the podcast. Uh, we're really grateful. Thanks, AC. Yes. Yes. And we would love to have you on more. So yeah. if you're listening, well, we, we, we might hear from Pastor AC in the future. Um, oh, sure. yeah. But Seriously, thank you so much. 
Um, you guys, we're going to continue this conversation. We're going to continue talking through these things uh, on race and ethnicity and the gospel. And it's going to be coming out on Thursday. So make sure that you are uh, locked in, tuned in. And we are committed to, we, we're the show that helps you grow, right? So we are committed to helping you deepen your faith in God and helping you grow. Also, I just want to make a note on Tuesdays, we're still continuing our time series. So make sure you're also looking uh, out for that as well. We love you guys. We will be back with you soon. Uh, You'll be hearing from us shortly. If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Just subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of other video content. And if you are already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship Podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Don't forget to visit saddleback.com slash doable to check out all of our previous episodes. And go to saddleback.com slash grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events. Lastly, you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com. Send us your thoughts, send us your questions, your Bible questions, your life questions, whatever. Who knows? Your question might just inspire an upcoming episode. Thanks again for tuning in to Doable Discipleship. I'm Jason Whelan, and I hope you'll join us again next week.